Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 128, where in a moment we welcome another guest, this time Dr. Ruben Wilcock from Blackfinch, to discuss VCTs and EISs. That's in a moment, as I say. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. You can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes today, we featured loads of stuff. Mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last time we spoke about 10 reasons to look at trusts. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, uh, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And in that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. Joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, before we welcome Ruben onto the show, I'd like a word, Phil. You know our deal. The only thing I can't abide acronyms. And here we are with not one, but two in the title. I'll get Ruben to explain more in a second. Ruben, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a a part of it. Um, Before we get really stuck into these acronyms and everything else, perhaps you could fill us in on your own background, first of all. Sure thing, John. I I know what you mean about the acronyms. I'm afraid there's quite a few. It's one of those things, but I'll talk you through them. So my background, it's a little bit unusual, actually. I have a background in academia, startups and startup acceleration. So I've actually got a PhD in microchip design, did, did research for a few years, wrote lots of papers in crazy, wacky areas I could talk about for hours. <laughs> then what I did was I, I, I started to do my own companies and helped the University of Southampton to spin out and license their technology. And when one of my companies exited, a company called Julo, I decided to start helping others. So I made an accelerator for future worlds to help other people do their companies. And then I moved to Blackfinch and helped set up the venture capital team there. That's excellent. Thanks thanks very much for coming on to the, the podcast today, Ruben. I think the subject that we're speaking about isn't something we've covered at all in, in any of our previous episodes. I think it would be really good for our listeners to, to find out more about it. But could, could you also tell us a wee bit about the, the Black Finch group as well, Ruben, just to, to give us a bit of a background on, on them as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Black Finch, we're a multi-asset investment specialist. It's a bit of a mouthful, but what that means is that we invest in a lot of different asset types. So we invest in property development loans, we invest in renewable energy, we invest in listed equities, so stocks and shares. And then the bit that I do is the venture capital side where we invest in high growth, high tech, early stage companies. It's about We've got about 700 million assets under management just to give you a feel for the firm. It's about 150 people today. Very entrepreneurial firm led by Rich Cook, super sort of entrepreneurial character himself. But it's a great place to work. That's excellent. I mentioned when we started today's episode, Ruben, if there's one thing I can't abide, it's acronyms. Bad enough in any walk of life. But when you're talking about the world of finance, which is often already complicated enough for a duffer like me to understand, you know, going and throwing acronyms on top of that just makes it even worse. So if you could possibly give them their full titles and then expand on what they are, that would give me an outside chance of not falling behind the rest of the class. So maybe VCT first. Great. Let's start with VCT. So this means Venture Capital Trust. And the way to think of this is, is it was a really smart way for the government back, I think it was back in 1995, to try and help encourage private capital, so private individuals' money, to go into early stage technology companies, mainly technology companies, to try and help the UK economy grow, create jobs. I mean, the government could have just put their own money in. They do that through grants and things like that. 
but by leveraging private capital, you're able to get a much bigger impact. And so they said, well, how can we do that? And we could do that by saying, well, if you do put some of your your, your hard-earned cash into these early stage, exciting high-growth companies in the UK, we'll give you some tax breaks. Uh, and that's the way it kind of works. So Venture Capital Trust is effectively a listed company. We're a PLC, the Blackburn Spring VCT PLC, where if you invest in that PLC, if you buy some shares of that PLC, then that company will then invest in underlying companies that, that are these high-tech, early-stage, high-growth companies in the UK. Okay, and EIS? So EIS is quite similar in a way to, to VCT. I think it launched about a year early originally, um, but it's probably aimed towards slightly earlier-stage companies. And the difference, really, is you still get these tax reliefs. So, for example, both EIS and VCT, you get about 30% day one back from your tax bill, which is amazing when you think about it. You get tax-free dividends, tax-free growth. But the, the thing with EIS compared to VCT is that you're investing in the companies themselves. So the VCT, you're investing in the kind of wrapper that is the listed company, but the EIS, you're investing in the companies yourselves. And in our case, with our Black Ventures Portfolios product, we're, we're actually making the decisions for you. So you're saying, here, here's some of my, my capital. Can you please invest it in, say, 10 to 20 companies so I can benefit from this great scheme? And the EIS has a few other changes, a few other differences as well, but I'm sure we'll come into those later. I, I was just going to ask there, Ruben, what you felt the kind of main differences between an EIS and, and VCT was. And but another question that I kind of had as well was, do you tend to invest in like a basket of a number of different companies to try and reduce the, the risk to investors rather than, I would imagine if someone's investing just in one single company, I mean, the rewards could be quite high, but there'd be more risk attached with that as well. That's absolutely right. So the whole the whole game, the whole thing, the IS and BTT is, is is about giving investors a tax relief because of the higher risk. And then it's what do we do as an investment team to try and reduce that risk? And what we do is we use diversification, which is the fancy word for what you're saying, which is we invest in a basket of quite a few companies, probably between 10 and 20. So that if we, you know, COVID came along, if we'd only invested in a few technology companies that help high street retail retail then it will all have been wiped out but we're investing in sort of 15 to 20 different sectors and that just helps to manage that sometimes actually when big things happen like covid it might impact one or two of our firms but it might actually present an opportunity to some of our firms too so you're sort of balancing that risk yeah i'm right saying you you're involved with the research and the companies that you invest in is that right that's right. I head up that team so we're a team of, of eight we're quite unusual because we're nearly all ex-founders so I explained okay. earlier how you know I'd set up my own companies and and that is something that probably sets us aside. We've got two PhDs on the team. We're very sort of technically minded as well. Probably see about one to two thousand companies yeah. a year. Believe it or not. I, I was going to ask as well, like how you select the the companies that you're invested in. I, I guess it'd be quite a lot of research. We'd need to go into that, is there? Yeah, it's it's a lot of very subtle stuff. What I learned when I ran my accelerator and I helped about fifty to sixty companies launch through that over a four year period was that you've got to be super careful about bias, for example. So if I go out and I sit down for a coffee with a founder of a, of a, of a tech company and I like them, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this, there's a danger that you're starting to kind of cloud your judgment on the company a little bit because you like the person, right? They're very compelling. They're all brilliant salespeople, of course. And then it's probably me that writes it up, does the research, goes to the investment committee, and then maybe even sits on the board of the company once we've invested. So what we do is every deal that comes in, we have a team of more junior people that kind of very objectively and clinically gather all the data. And then people like me are looking at the data, not being exposed to the individuals uh, to, be, to begin with, 
and then we go forward. And so we do lots of little tricks like that to try and make sure that we're making really good objective decisions. I would. Who, who would I was just going to ask who who would you say EISs and VTC VCTs would be be suitable for? Yeah, maybe we start with VCT. So VCTs. I mean, they're good for anyone in the sense that you can get exposure to these exciting, potentially kind of high growth companies and you get the tax relief. But quite often a sweet spot are high net worths who've maxed out on their pension allowances. So because it, it, it can be an income vehicle, we, pay a, we plan to pay a dividend 5% each year from 2024. So it's a bit like, you know, what you might get from a, a more typical investment in, in terms of the income. So people that have maxed out on their pension allowances, you get tax free dividends and then you, you've got to hold the shares for five years in order to benefit from a tax relief, and then you can sort of you can you can do a buyback and get some liquidity. With EIS, it's uh, it's slightly different. Quite often, it's people that have sold something, so they've got a big tax bill, and they're sitting there and they're thinking, oh, you know, I've got this. I've just sold this thing. I've just sold my company. I've got sold a house. Massive tax bill. What can I do with it? And the great thing is, is that you could put like a hundred thousand pounds into an EIS. You get thirty thousand pounds back of your tax bill day one. Uh, any kind of gain you get, and of course we're investing into companies that we wouldn't invest into a company unless we thought they could do 10x or more, you know, return. Obviously, they won't all do that, but that's that's the type of companies we're investing in. Any gains you get, you don't pay any tax on either. And one of the great things about EIS is you can use carry back tax allowance. So if you had a tax bill that was even 22, 23 tax year, if it was back in 21, 22, and you didn't. You know, you paid, you had £30,000, £40,000 tax bill. Then you could even use that now, today, to, to go into an EIS. Well, you've covered off pretty much how the tax relief works in, on these types of investments, Ruben. One of the things I was going to ask you, I, I know you were saying there that, that you use your teams to be very analytical when you're looking at these companies instead of, you know, going out for a coffee with the person who's fronting the, the company and, and starting to form a relationship with them. You, you try and remain clinical about it. But I'm going to guess that if you've got, eight guys in your team who have been founders themselves, you probably have a pretty good gut feeling for these these companies as well, do you? Yeah, we do. I mean, being ex-founders really gives us two advantages. So first advantage, I would say, is that because we've been there before, we're quite, and some of us a few times, like I've done four, then we're quite good at spotting the, the sort of little subtle indicators that they might be about to go on their kind of, the inflection point on their growth curve. So all startups begin with nothing. That's why you need capital, because they're not generating any revenue. You've got to grow it. They begin with nothing. They often don't realize their only job in life at that point is to test the hypothesis as quickly and as cheaply as possible. Because it's going to change. The product will change many times until they get it right. And then at some point, they start to get it right. A bit like your podcast. You know, At some point, you'll, you'll get the marketing right, you get the content right, and it starts to, to go up this curve. And we're quite good at spotting that curve. So that's the, the first thing that's good. And then the second thing is that when we're doing you know, all the back and forth and we do these long pitch sessions, when they get to know us, they get to they they realise we're found, we're ex-founders. They kind of like that. They think we've kind of been there on the same side of the table as them in the past. So so that gives us a benefit when we're in a competitive process with other investment firms. Do you think it's a good time for people to be investing into this sort of things at the moment, Ruben? Would you would you say that's? I, I know a lot of people are maybe a bit with everything over the last few years, maybe a little bit more risk averse possibly at the moment. But I know from my personal experience, often in times when things are not doing so well, that's a great time to to invest at that point. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's two reasons why I think it is genuinely a good time. First reason is that a lot of the kind of weaker companies haven't survived the last few years. So it's almost kind of like natural selection around which company, which early stage sort of tech companies exist today. 
But, but really, the other reason why is that when firms like us do sort of value these companies, when we're investing, we, we, we're investing, we're paying a certain amount of money, we're getting a certain amount of shares, that implies the value of the company. When we're valuing the companies, we have to take into account listed market valuations because that's the, that's the way we do it, we're audited. And what that has meant is that although there might not necessarily be a very strong correlation between these small companies we invested in, unlisted, and listed companies, the reality is, is that, that, that the impact of the listed market has driven the prices of these earlier stage companies down. So now could be a very good time to invest because we're basically we're getting into these companies at a lower cost than we were just 12 months ago. And in some cases, and I've just been negotiating some deals in the last few weeks for our tax year end investments. In some cases, I mean, we're, we're getting into companies probably at about 70%, 60% of, of what we would have done probably a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. So if you, if you think that the timescale that these companies take to sell, and that's when you get your money back in terms of EIS at least, might be four to seven years, you know, by which time, who knows, with the, with the, with the macroeconomics, you're getting in at a good time because you're getting more shares than you would have otherwise got. And that's true of the BCT as well, because yeah. with the BCT, we're kind of forced to almost bring those valuations down in line with the listed valuations, even though most of our VCT companies are all growing. So it's a bit perverse, but it's a good time yeah. to buy. Do, do you tend to look and think, right, we think this particular sector is going to do well, or do you tend to look more at the, the company as a, an individual sort of entity? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question, actually. So we do both. We go out and we look for companies in lots of different ways. We do all the usual things. We go to uh, incubators, accelerators, universities. We have networks. We have other investment firms that share deals, stuff coming through our website, all these things. We also use a research tool to proactively go out and we design very kind of clever search terms to find all of the companies that we think might be about to take investment. Then we do an outbound approach and then we use our own algorithms to figure out which ones we think are best. But, but so, so there's lots and lots of different ways to, to figure out which companies to go into. And that results in a big pipeline right, of companies and we narrow it down through that research I was talking about. But what we do sometimes do is because we, we track markets, we record every month, we track exactly what we're seeing and how the markets are shaping up. We sometimes say, do you know what? Legal tech, that's a big one. And that is actually quite a big one right now. It's a big industry, right for disruption. Lots of small companies trying to be the big winner that goes in and solves all of the kind of tech issues around you know, legal services, legal tech, agri-tech, agri agricultural technology. We, we might say, do you know what? Let's pay particular attention to those deals because we know those markets are going to grow really quickly. Yeah. I think that's coming up a lot just now is like AI. Is that something that you can use? And also, is that like the sort of companies you'd be looking to possibly invest in just now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we probably all know AI has become a bit of a buzzword since the days when yeah. I think Google acquired DeepMind. The reality is most of our companies use it in one way or another. Some of our companies use it a lot and they use it quite in a proprietary way. And then they really are, you know, they really do have the right to say that we're AI powered, machine learning powered. AI is artificial intelligence, by the way, John, just to tick your question. Do you know, I, I, that's the one the one acronym that I'm across right now is, is AI. <laughs> Please carry on, yeah. But, but if you haven't heard of, I'm sure you've heard of ChatGPT, I expect you've Yeah, absolutely, heard of absolutely. T is just incredible. We've spent, it's our job, right, to be on top of this technology. So we've spent a lot of time looking into chat gpt understanding how it can shape our companies some of our companies have been using the technology behind chat gpt through OpenAI, which is the company name for for quite a while now actually so it, it is it is you know absolutely the types of companies we're investing in and i think 
you've got to embrace it if you're going to if you're going to create growth in the next five yeah. five years or so. I was going to ask that question in in a slightly different way and say right if AI is you know making sort of tabloid press now like if you like you know it's in I think it's probably in public perception now AI and we can see what it's doing how much earlier were you looking at it as a, oh yeah this is this is something that might be interesting in a in a couple of years and 10 years how how far back have you been looking at this a really really long time is the answer so one of my one of my companies Julo we built a very kind of clever little device that your energy company gave you free of charge and you'd press the button, put it on your thermostat for a week and it would actually just record temperature, but then you'd plug it into your computer. And we used AI algorithms to work out just from the temperature inside your house and the temperature outside your house, which we got from weather data servers, to build a, a, a model, a thermal model of your home. We knew about your boiler, we knew about your insulation, we knew about all these different parameters. That was back in 2013. So we were using those things way back there. And actually, the name of it has changed over the years. So AI has really caught on, but it's you know machine learning, it's, it's adaptive algorithms, all these lots of different terms for a similar type of thing, which is trying to do really smart uh, kind of learning type behavior through computer algorithms, ultimately. So it's been, it's been going on for quite a long time now. Take us back the way a little bit, and you, you touched on this earlier, but how Blackfinch can help. If someone's looking at this type of investment, because in in my experience, having sat here for 128 episodes, investors differ. You get some who are really hands-on and they say, right, I know what I want to do. And you get others who say, look, I'm interested in this, but I don't really have a clue. And I know that you're the experts. Take, take me down this road. So how, how do you actually help at Blackfinch? Yeah, so I mean, you'd... You could be an individual and you could be watching Dragon's Den and think, well, this looks quite exciting and then discover about EIS and say, well, you know, this is this is cool. I could invest in a cool tech company, too, and I could get this 30 percent tax relief and it'll hopefully grow and I'll be, you know, it'll all be great. And you could then go out and look for your own companies if you wanted to. I mean, you could join a, a small angel syndicate or something. You could do that. But for most people, they don't really have the experience to do that. They don't really know where to look. They don't maybe have the time. And so, but you can still get exposure to all of this, you know, the potential, nothing's guaranteed, the potential upside tax relief by going to an investment firm like us, where we're effectively doing all of that for you. So we're going up, we're looking at one to 2,000 deals a year, we're using our experience, our PhDs, our experience as founders to pick those companies. We're putting together a diversified portfolio for you. So 10 to 20 companies in the case of the EIS, the VCT as I explained, as a wrapper, and it actually has 20 companies in it today. So even if you invested today in the VCT, you'd already be exposed to those 20 companies. So we kind of are doing it for you. And we're, over the years, as a team of, I guess, experts in the area, we're adapting and improving our approaches, making it more and more rigorous. And you're benefiting from that by, by coming to us. And then once we've invested, you know, you're getting regular reports, quarterly reports on how things are going, you know, and, and all the rest of it. So really, take, you can access this exciting area access the tax reliefs, the potential for the good returns, but without having to go out there and learn it all yourself and do it all yourself. See, if someone's looking to invest through yourselves, Ruben, is that usually done through a financial advisor or can they invest directly with yourselves? Yeah, no, exactly. So really we work with IFAs and I think what's really important about IFAs is that they can help you understand how VCT and IRS can be a part of your overall financial plan. I think it's really important you do that. So if someone was listening to this and they thought, actually, this sounds quite interesting, then probably what you want to do is speak to your IFA. They can get in touch with Blackfinch. If you go to blackfinch.com, blackfinch.ventures, they can get in touch with us. 
and that's where the kind of conversation starts. We've got BDMs that cover the whole the whole country, and yeah. they'll be happy to help explain how the planning work, all these different things. That's the wow. kind of starting point. Yeah. Do you know, I, I, mean, I suppose if someone's taking advice from a financial advisor, they'll have the cost of that. But what, what sort of cost do they have with Blackfinch? Is that something you know much about? Yeah, no, no, I, no, I do. So it's different for the EIS and the VCT. So for the, EC, for the VCT, you've got a kind of initial fee. I think there's an early bird discount at the moment because of coming yeah. up the tax year. So I think it's about one and a half percent. And then like most firms, we charge about two percent a year to manage the, the cash and then if we if we get a, a return on the performance we create, we take 20% of the performance. But we're only doing that above a hurdle of 130%. So we're saying, look, we're really confident we're going to get a good return. We're only going to take any performance fee above that. And then the EIS isn't massively different. It's got a, a portfolio establishment fee, which depends on, you know, time of year and IFA and, and a few other things. And then it's a 2% annual management fee. But that's capped at four years which is really good because it means that yeah. you know that you're incentivized for those companies to try and be sold as quickly as possible. And then a performance fee, again, is 20% on whatever we, we make, but only above 130%. Yeah. Phil will tell you one of the things that we always cover in our episode are the pros and cons. So what are the advantages, first of all, here? Yeah, well, I think the advantages, I mean, I would major, because I'm you know, on the investment team, I'd major on, you know, these are exciting companies. You know, we've invested in a company recently called Currency. You know, I don't know, you might have even heard of it. Which is a, a which is the first travel debit card. What it means is instead of going to Monzo, Revolut, or whatever, and getting a separate account or a separate payment card when you go traveling to save on all the fees, all the exchange fees, all that stuff, and having to top it up with currency, what you can do is you can just link this travel debit card to your bank account. Go off. You don't. You save all of the fees that the banks normally charge you, and it's it's probably worth like one two hundred pounds on a normal holiday, and it just goes straight through to your bank account. We invested in that company back in last year around sort of summer autumn time. That company's smashing its targets. Really exciting company. It's a fintech company. So it could go, it could be massive, like MasterCard and back dip to the hill. So, you know, for me, the excitement is in these are really exciting companies that that have the potential to grow really quickly. And you could see some benefit of that. Of course, some will some will actually fail, you know, but that's why you have a, a diversified portfolio. But then there's obviously also the tax relief. And the tax relief just means that the government's saying, look, we know this is a risky asset class. We know that you can get some companies failed. You should probably diversify like we do. But to, to, to account for that, to mitigate that risk, here's, here's some tax relief. And in case of the EIS, what's really amazing is that you get loss relief as well. So if you put 100,000 into an EIS scheme, you're going to get 30,000 back, which is the initial tax you get back. You've now got 70,000 at risk. If we did our job terribly, and it would be really hard to be this bad, and every company out of, say, 10 failed, then you would still be able to offset that 70 against your, against your, your if you're an additional rate taxpayer, you'd be able to offset 45% of that. So you're actually only exposing 38,500 pounds of that 100,000 in the case where every company fails. But the reality is, I really hope not every company fails. <laughs> Some of them are going to do quite well, and there'll be one or two that do exceptionally well, maybe like currency. And so it's quite an exciting, exciting investment to be in. I, that's the thing. I, I would say the advantage is looking at it from where I am. You've got great growth potential. You've got the the tax advantages and tax incentives of, of investing in it. But it's all VCTs and, and EIS. It's also another way it can help diversify your your investments as well. And and not only that, it's also helping the the kind of economy. Is it by by getting the investment into to that firms? And as I, I think it's it's also 
great way for, for people to try and generate additional income as well. Look, looking, we've kind of covered the, the advantages, but what, what about any disadvantages, Ruben? Is there, there anything out there that you would, would sort of say for that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Before I talk about that, because you just made me think that, you know, it, it's great for the economy. But let me tell you something that probably most people wouldn't have heard of, and that's McKinsey. You've probably heard of McKinsey. I did a study about a year and a half ago where they looked at the top 1,000 high-growth, successful startup companies in the whole of Europe. And 319 of those came from the UK. The next yeah. biggest country was Germany with 149. You know, we are so much better at creating incredible, high-growth, you know, brilliant, innovative companies, tech companies in the UK than any other country in, in Europe. And the reason why is because of EIS and VCT. So it absolutely is. It's about making, you know, the, the UK an incredibly innovative place, creating jobs, all those things. But I'll shut up about that. But you asked about the, uh, the, the disadvantages. So re- realistically, there's there's two key ones. The first one, which we've talked about a lot, is the risk. So you've got to accept that if you if you invest, maybe you end up, if it's an EIS, you end up with, say, 12 companies, or if it's a VCT, we've got 20 in the portfolio currently. Um, some of those will fail. We all expect them to fail. It's, they're early enough stage that, that some of them will not make it. That's normal. Now, obviously, we, we diversify and we, we hope that overall it creates a good, strong return across the portfolio. But there is a chance, a chance of failure. So, so that's the you know the risk profile is a bit different to some other other asset classes. Yeah. And the second thing, the second thing is around liquidity because to get the tax relief, the government what the government doesn't want to do obviously is to say EIS great, put a hundred thousand to this, you get thirty percent back, and then you can somehow take it out the next day. You got your thirty percent off, you go. It's not really in the spirit of things. So you've got to tie tie your money up for a bit of time. And for the EIS to get the reliefs, you've got to be in there for three years. Of course, in practice, you're going to be in there until the companies that you've invested in sell until they exit. And, and you know, so there's a liquidity thing there. The VCT, you've got to be in it for five years. And uh, now with the VCT, you can then do a buyback. So it's easier. You can get out even if underlying companies don't don't sell, if you sort of mean. So so th- those are the two disadvantages. But I would say that, that as part of a balanced portfolio, as you were saying, I would say that they're offset by the opportunity for that exciting yeah. growth. One of the things I was—I often say this in previous podcast episodes, but one thing sometimes as well is tax rules can change. We're coming up; we've got the uh, budget coming up soon, and you never know how how things might impact it on there. But then that's something that's always just might happen. Whereas I suppose we want to focus on what the rules kind of are as they they are just now. But if, if someone was interested in like finding out more about yourselves. I think you mentioned the, the, the website was a good place to, to look. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. We've got lots of information on the website. You could go to blackfinch.com. That's the main group website, all of our different products and services on there. Or you could go to blackfinch.ventures. That goes directly to the, the ventures part. And you've got the details of the brochures. You've got uh, portfolio companies, all those types of things. And then as we were saying, the route to maybe moving forward would be have a chat with your IFA get them to get in touch with Blackfinch and kind of go from there. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the show today, Ruben. It's been been really good because, as I say, it's a, a subject that we've just not touched on uh, at all. And coming up to the end of the, the tax year as well, good time for people to be looking at, at these sort of things to, to get all the reliefs that they, they can. And is there anything else that you wanted to, to kind of bring up or, or go through? I think we've covered a lot of the key points, I think, so far. I think it's just what you were saying. It's coming up to the end of the tax year. I mean, this really is the best time. We talked about valuations earlier and how in terms of the macroeconomics, they're quite low. But just in terms of the practicalities with EIS, because you can make take advantage of that carryback opportunity, 
which is using the tax that you paid in 21-22, even though it's a year, your tax year ago, now, you know, you're going to lose that opportunity if you don't do this before April 5th. Now, we are one of the few firms that's able to deploy very close to tax year end. So you've still got time to come in with your carry bag and say, hey, actually, this looks quite interesting. I want to put some money into an EIS and we can still do that for you. And we can deploy all of your cash into a diversified portfolio by April 5th. So I think that's really important for people to realise. Yeah. Now, in a moment, we'll get Phil's quote of the week, which I always enjoy. But first, it's a look at Phil's own life and how this week's particular topic has impacted him throughout the years. So, Phil, this week, VCTs and EISs, what have you got on that? Yeah, it's an area that I have not had a, a huge amount of dealings with myself over the years. But I would say, like, for, for me personally, it's something I would invest in. I, I suppose the caveat to that is to say to people, look, you need to take advice for your own circumstances, make sure you understand the, the risks, etc. Like liquidity is a big thing as well. Can you afford to leave the, the funds for a period of time? But certainly looking at the, the kind of tax breaks that you, you get with this sort of investment, I know for me personally, it's certainly something that I would, would look at. And I, I've really found it a, a good show today. found out a lot about the Blackfinch Group and, and VCTs, EISs. So, no, really great. Thanks thanks so much for, for coming on today, Ruben. Pleasure. Good to be here. I think sounds uh, re- really exciting. And at a purely simplistic level, you're you're funding the future. Now, time for Phil's quote of the week. I, I know you're a fan of inspirational quotes, Phil, a collector of them, in fact. So what have you got to suit our topic this week on VCTs and EISs? Uh, the quote I've got this week's from, from, well, it says, unknown. A bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. <laughs> now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you prefer. Uh, let's get on to this week's contact details in just a second. I'll give it to you after these. Hi, Phil. I'm not long into my 50s, although I tend to work for a, a number of years. As I get older, I've been starting to think about my retirement and whether or not I'll have enough to put away. Is there an easy way to check and find out? I'd say book an appointment with an independent financial advisor. And the reason for that is that they can review what you have at the moment. They can also use what's called cash flow modeling tools. They, they can then look at how much funds do you need. They, they can look at, do, do you need to fund more for, for your retirement? So they can help you answer all of those questions. And they, they'll also look at your current situation as well and do a financial plan so i definitely say go and speak to an, an independent financial advisor sit down with them and that's just they, they'll be able to help you with that this is a follow-up question there phil is, is there a point where it where it's sort of become too late and you're going to have to just sit down and say right okay i'm going to have to cut my cloth because i you know i don't have that many working years left to, to gain more money is there a point where it becomes too late to, to yeah i guess like the, the earlier you go into any investments the longer you can leave them to to grow so certainly the, the earlier someone looks at their, their retirement provision, the, the better. But one, one good thing is, even if you are approaching retirement, you can still put money in, maybe get tax relief on that money that's going in. And then with, with the pension freedoms these days, you may be able to take some of the money out, but pay less tax on it. You get the 25% tax-free lump sum, which again, I would say it could change at some point in the future. Who knows? But as things stand at the moment, at any age, it's still good to to be looking at things. Next up, here's one from Helen in Invergordon who wants to know about life insurance. She says, hi, Phil. Is there a time of life whereby there's no point getting life insurance anymore, i.e. it wouldn't be worth your while or you know without a doubt because you've reached a certain age, insurers won't entertain looking at a policy for you anymore? 
It, it all depends on your individual needs, but on, on a standard term policy, usually the maximum age for cover would normally be up to about age 70. But you, you do get policies. We did a show recently on whole-of-life plans. They're ones that are guaranteed to, to pay out a sum on death. Now, people might look at taking that out for maybe to cover funeral costs. They, they might look to pay an inheritance tax bill. So it all really depends on your, your circumstances and what your individual needs are. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now. We may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Mellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 128 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Full Anderson. Thanks also to our guest, Ruben Wilcock of Blackfinch. If you feel you need a helping hand with uh, anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Full Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search personal finance community that's personal finance community on facebook phil's on twitter and linkedin as well or why not email phil a question you can answer on a future show his address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk that's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk send him your question and phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast as i say and please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer remember if you found this useful please rate and recommend us and please follow us on apple or whatever you get your podcasts that way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it you'll get all the links you need on phil's social media good luck with your money phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further we'll see you next time and thanks for listening Thanks, John. And thanks again for coming on, Ruben. Pleasure.